Howdy, welcome to another episode of Cannon Calls. This week, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with a good friend of mine, Christine Cohen. She's talking about her brand new book available now for pre-order at canonpress.com called The Sinking City. This is her sophomore release. If you'll remember, she is the author of The Winter King, which is now back in hardcover at canonpress.com as well. So if you're thinking about getting anyone in your family good fiction, especially kids, I can't recommend Christine's work enough. The Sinking City, which is brand new, as well as The Winter King, which is back in hardcover. So without further ado, meet Christine Cohen. All right, now welcoming on special recurring guest, Christine Cohen. Hello. Author of the brand new Sinking City. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, do you want to start by telling us about your new feat? You've completed a new novel, and it's available now for pre-order at canonpress.com. What is it? Okay, yes, it is called The Sinking City. It is, I call it, alternate historical fantasy. (laughs) So it is set in 17th century Venice, sort of, uh, and it tells the story of Leona, who is the daughter of a patrician nobleman who, um, through reasons I cannot share on the podcast. Sure. Spoilers. Spoilers. uh, Has to leave her home, flee, disguise herself as a boy and become assistant to the most notorious magician in Venice. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned the alternate historical what's the significance of that genre yeah okay so um i love books that are alternate historical so just straight up historical fiction would be something like uh wolf hall hillary mantle okay i when i several years back read jonathan strange and mr norrell by Susanna clark which is a fantastic adult fantasy novel if you like 600 page fantasy novels with a lot of footnotes you should read the footnotes. They're like some of the best part of it. In the fiction footnotes? Yeah. They're like, um, they're they're not actually, they're footnotes that like contribute to the plot more. Oh, okay. They're, it's great. It, it's, he's that's giving me a weird that. face, but it actually is. Yeah, it's cool. So that that's one of my favorite adult fantasy books. And when I read it, I thought I want to write something with that feel for the young adult crowd. So um, with at least with the historical fantasy alternate that I like to write, it feels very much like true, like a historical book set in a, a place, a time that you could pinpoint on a map, but just like one step removed. So okay. with Susanna, with Susanna Clark's, she's playing with a little bit more like she's got the fairy world coming in through the mirrors of England and and she's got magic magicians guilds and and all that but so with uh with the sinking city i thought it would be neat to do something similar where i've got um you have magic as just a natural part of the world it's just another guild venice in 17th century was built on a guild system you know you had your rope makers guild and your silk guild and all that um and i thought that there should be the magicians guild as well so it isn't something it's not like a harry potter magic where you've got like some people who can do it if they've got special powers and some people can't. It's just basically like another material that can be manipulated and used 
and it can be used well and it can be used poorly. And it doesn't have a sort of um, like muggles tripping out over the magic. Right. There's a sort of mundane. Yeah. It, it's called a gentleman's art. So it's not uh, it's not necessarily something that you're like, oh, wow. You know, the people of Venice are, are used to it. There's still a sense in which they think it's neat in the same way that we think, you know, Go ahead. Airplanes are neat or, you know, like there or sunsets or, you know, like thinking of another like gentleman's art that this might apply to. What are you? What were you? I don't know. But when you started to go down it, I was like, here we go. (laughs) What's it like? Well, you know, or like you can admire like a really good calligraphy or woodworking or whatever. Like there's you can admire. It's like one of those videos on Facebook of a, a man like makes a pool with a stick. Yeah, exactly. And you just you watch that sped up. And you're you like, lose that's like really five cool. minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you, as you do. Yeah. As you do. So it's like that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's uh, anyway. So I wanted to have something that just felt uh, like baked into the world. And, and I wanted to use a place that for me, because I tend to be lazy when it comes to world building, I didn't want to create a whole new world, a whole new system to try to figure out what are imports and exports? What's the clothing like? What? How is the, you know, what's the hierarchy of the government? So instead, I I picked 17th century Venice and I was able to just do, it still requires a good bit of work. I had to do probably five months of research, reading original texts, reading history books, figuring out, looking at the artwork of the time and figuring out how people interacted and, and stuff then. But um but to me, that's uh, that's more enjoyable, that type of discovery, as opposed to me sitting down and trying to figure out a coherent high fantasy world that I have to set up completely on my own. Now, uh, for those that don't know, you've written The Winter King as well, published by Cannonball Books. Yep. It's coming back in the hardback. Yes. There's a deal so people can get that in hardback and The Sinking City in hardback. Mm-hmm. And those go away. Yeah, so I know. people should I... get on that. <laughs> Unless Christine could it. hoard like a small pile in her home that I've seen. I do but hoard a small pile. They were given to me. They generally right. run out. Yes. Yeah, you definitely should. If you are interested in hardback, I would definitely recommend ordering it soon because at least with the Winter King, it sold out pretty quickly, um, which is great in terms of sales. But I had a lot of people message me and ask if they could get a hold of them. And and you said you sitting atop of your pile... <laughs> said nope no more jake is lying i had like seven and i'm saving them for my children and grandchildren so you know i think that's okay to to hold those for posterity (sighs) but no what i did is i messaged them back and said you should contact brian brian at at canonpress.com yep with any questions you have absolutely anything that's the one point of contact if you have app questions (laughs) please reach out to brian at canonpress.com brian is gonna love this um yeah any kind of questions you might have yeah. Any controversy questions, all of those. Exactly. So anyway, so I think enough people bugged him that eventually he just caved and was he like, broke. fine, yeah. we will order more copies yep. of The Winter King. So yeah, get them. Scaring me. Get them now. Okay. So, but the, but, so you've written one already. This mm-hmm. is your second one. Yes. But you've also stated on this podcast at a, another time that you will just throw away novels and things like that. So you write mm-hmm. often. Yeah. Was this... An easier experience writing this most recent novel? Are you are you like a supreme author oh, at this point? Yeah. Now I make no mistakes. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what Coherence, it's Coherence like. <laughs> just I just write one yeah, draft and done, right. hand it into Brian. No, I um so The Winter King I wrote for NanoRimo, National Novel Writing Month. So I wrote it in a month, 
it was it was actually the third book I'd written because, yeah, I had thrown away the first two. But this time around, so I'd written, I think, one or two more in between The Winter King and The Sinking City, just as practice that I also threw away. But this one, The Winter King was out on submission with editors. I was waiting to hear back on publication offers, and uh, I needed something to fill my time. So I wrote this one, and this time I thought I would be really smart and uh, skip all the tears and blood and sweat of the revision process by having an airtight outline. Yeah. And I just thought if I can have every chapter figured out perfectly, every character, yeah, every, every chapter plotted, every character understood. Um, I used Scrivener, which that was my first time trying that. And it, it was great. Actually, I really like Scrivener, but I had pages of character notes and research. And then I had my outline for every chapter and I wrote the whole thing and it was, it ended up being super bloated. It was like a hundred and something thousand words. And lo and behold, it still needed massive revisions. And I actually think I might've done more revisions on the Sinking City than I did on the Winter King in terms of like the amount that I cut out, the ways the ending, the ending changed multiple times. I had full plot lines that were just boring that I don't think anybody enjoyed reading. None of my beta readers liked. And uh, yeah, so so it, it actually was just as difficult, I learned. And now I, I am learning now, writing more novels, that the revision process will always be hard. And that's just that I just have to embrace it. There's no getting out of it. No, there will always be pain. Did um, just between the two, in terms of your revisions process and the editing process, Anything change or did like your problems change? Um, yeah, well, I think I, I, I'm getting faster um, at identifying problems. So with The Winter King, I think I did a fair bit of exploration revisions. So I would think, okay, something's not quite right with this. What if I try writing it this way? And then I would, you know, I'd, I would go off on a tangent and, and then realize that that was absolutely not working and have to erase it all and, and try again. So I was I was much more, I guess, just feeling it out like a like a piano piece, you know, just trying trying out different things with the sinking city. And now with my further future projects, um, I, I'm much more I, I understand more what needs to be fixed off the bat, uh, just because I know uh, plot structure and story structure better. And um, I'm further along in my my craft, which. Thank goodness. <laughs> so it's more of like you had like fourth grade problems. Yeah. And now you're having like high school problems. Yeah, exactly. So it's still problems. It's still problems. There will never not be problems. But they're older novel writer problems. Yes. Nice. Yeah. And I think that I am just, my ear is better tuned to what needs fixing right away as opposed to a lot of times with The Winter King, I would be like, I know something doesn't work here, but I don't know how to fix it. Yep. Yeah. So. Nice. So. If as far as like it would be marketed on shelves, like in big box stores, mm-hmm. Winter King is a middle grade fiction. This one would be under a YA. Was that how you? Is that fair? I think. Is, I think so. I I think that um I haven't really talked to Brian actually about where how they're. I think he said that they are marketing it slightly older. So with the Winter King, when it first when the ARC the arc advanced reader copy came out uh, my daughter was eight going on nine and she just grabbed it and gobbled it right up and loved it and so that to me 
yes, puts it directly kind of in middle grade, younger YA. Now she is 10 going on 11. And I think that that is actually a more appropriate age for first reading the sinking, the sinking, oh, sinking city. city. Okay. Yeah. 10, 11. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's possible that eight or nine year olds will still pick it up and love it. But I, I think that it does skew a little bit older just in terms of the themes in it and, and maybe the complication of the plot. And so we'll see. I'll be curious. I never really know, though, until people start reading it and tell me what age their kids are picking it up. Did you make like conscious choices that made it older? And then like you debated it and you made that decision or how, did it just come out that way? No, I think it just came out that way. Um, when I wrote The Sinking City, I was I still had an agent, a New York agent uh, who was shopping around The Winter King. And we were having trouble selling The Winter King because it wasn't considered mature enough for young adults. And so I thought, OK, well, I'll try writing something that does feel that feels a little bit older for my next project. So that was part of the rationale behind writing The Sinking City. But even when I finished it and I sent it off to my agent and she got back to me and she said, you know, I loved it. I think it's so good, but it's still not old enough for young adults the way it's being published right now. So did she have a suggestion? Yes, she. (laughs) So she 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 wanted it to be more and her words were psychologically disturbing. Which, you know, again, you're like, oh, yeah, sure, for the children. Um, for the, yeah. If that's what they well, need. Well, it's for the kids, Christine. The kids. So make it a little bit more and, psychologically disturbing. Yeah. She said to me, she was like, you know, you're going to have to go to a dark place mm-hmm. psychologically to do these revisions, to do what it'll take to make this young adult. Which, I mean, my first thought was like, oh, yeah, my husband and three children will love that. That's exactly what, you know, <laughs> what a, a, every... uh spouse and kids want to hear is like oh sorry mom's the tortured artist locked in her room for three months yeah you just catch somebody at church and they're like so how are things going so how- and you're like well christine yeah has been in a dark place um psychologically or not. yeah psychologically speaking yeah very dark place which is not uh yeah that's not the type of craft that i'm going <laughs> sure, for first sure. of all but also um yeah it was just it was it was frustrating because and i know i said this the last time you interviewed me but um, young adult is currently being read by t- written by 20 to 30 year olds and read by 20 to 30 year olds. So the themes are more mature. The characters in it don't actually sound like teenagers. A lot of the time they sound like 20 to 30 year olds. And um, yeah. And so so really what what my agent was asking me to do wasn't fix the book based on the merits of what that book needed. It was fixing the book based off of basically a broken publishing system. Yep. And I wasn't going to do that. That would not be me being true to my job. And also, I just didn't want to. You know, <laughs> ethically, that was not yeah. a thing I wanted to do for children, for anyone. So that was about the time that my agent and I parted ways. And then I, at that point, I think I already had Canon Press on the radar. So I, I just shelved it for a while and then decided I'd take it to you guys who are actually writing books for kids that will nourish them. But all that to say, I do think it already was feeling more mature because back when I wrote it, I still thought that I could put something out into the world through New York publishing that was more mature, but still good, wholesome, good for you. wholesome. Yeah, exactly. Not, uh, not something that was going to screw up the youth. You know, that's not my I'm my trying goal. to think when that advice would ever be something 
it almost sounds like she was trying to like hype you up for like your children have been kidnapped angel and you're gonna have to go to a dark place to get them back right like i think i I, i'm trying i don't know when else that advice would be given would be good i know it's a solid idea yeah it's funny because she's like if you were to take it out of its context and then place it back in and it was like oh that was about writing yeah young adult fiction yeah or even when you think about our target audience like yeah in what other art or any situation would you be like so we want to give something to the kids Right. That's really going to mess them up psychologically. Like, right. well, <laughs> when would someone be like, yeah, I am on board with yeah. that. Well, let's let's get to work. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Motivated. We're doing we're I'm doing good things. Yeah. yeah. So and, and it's funny because, you know, she I my agent was a really sweet gal and I, I really enjoyed working with her. She was just regurgitating what the industry was telling her. And I have to hope that at some point it'll swing back. But maybe it won't. Who knows? You know, can't really predict anything in 2021. That's right. So, yeah. that's right. Okay, so psychologically wholesome, <laughs> the sinking city. Yep, is available. What have you? You're always reading. You read a lot. Yes. What are you reading currently? What am I currently reading? I'm reading a couple different things. So, um, one I'm reading uh, English Creek by Ivan Doig. Yep. Which, if you guys have not picked up any Ivan Doig, he's worth. Sylvia Engelbretson, huge Ivan Doig. Yeah. She keeps pushing Ivan Doig. Have you not me. read any? I haven't yet, but okay. I will eventually because yeah, she's going to come for me. So he's like a Montana author, born and bred, and it just comes out in his writing. I, It cracks me up because I'm, I'm about halfway through now, and nothing in the book is actually of any just inherent interest to me. Like, I would never be like, I'm going to pick up a book on cattle rustling and digging a portage on a new one for the backyard type of homesteading. You know, that's not really. Necessary things. Yeah, but it's yeah. not, you know, something I'm, I, I would think I would be interested in reading, but he makes it so interesting. And his descriptions are just really amazing and fascinating. So, yep. So I'd recommend that one. I'm reading uh, The Lies of Locke Lamora, which is an adult there, fantasy. Sounds way more Christine Cohen's yep, world. It yeah, it is. Uh, it is adult. It's, I feel the need to caveat since we're on a, well, because I am someone who people go to for recommendations for their children, don't yeah. don't give this to your children. It is just in terms of the language content so far, it's uh, definitely adult. But I was interested in reading it because of the world building and the the heist aspect of it. Both are things that I I think I can glean from it. So yeah, so I'm reading that, and then downstairs on my um, coffee table, I have the saga of Ragnar Lodbrok. Yeah. Which is yep, the, uh, <laughs> yep, the Koviak. Yep, my for my sure. good friend Megan Ankoviak, who does the cover art for my books. She handed that one to me a couple weeks ago and insisted I read it. And it's it's early Viking manuscripts that have been translated. There's some poems, uh, some sagas, and that was where I discovered the interesting and not very well yep. known to me fact. Yep, that contrary to common. This is going to flip a lot of worlds upside down. Here we go. I don't know. Maybe no one else thought this, but like I had this, the view of this, the Viking, obviously they were bloodthirsty, but there, there's been this trope of them drinking out of the skulls of their enemies. Yeah. And that, as it turns out, is a mistranslation of a part of one of the poems in this saga where they refer to drinking out of horns, but they use a kenning. To describe it, and the kenning is tree skulls, skulls of the tree, which some medieval Latin translator saw that and was like, skulls, 
they're at, and he just took it literally yeah. and was like, oh, they're actually drinking out of skulls, but yeah. they were not. One for flair, that medieval. Yeah. And Latin. then it just, through the centuries, it just hung on. So anyway, I'm learning a lot from this. I sagas. like the tree skull. It's just bark. I assume just like a wooden yeah. cup. Yeah. Well, sorts. I think a it's goblet. like a sort of, or like a horn well, a or horn. something, but. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. So. So sorry for everyone who was holding on to that Viking. I know. It's a very niche. Uh, we should have put up a, like a. Tidbit. A warning. We should have put a warning. Christine's going to ruin your yeah, hopes about right. what Vikings do and do not do. Well, so people do go to you for like kid stuff. So what? What? Yeah. What do you? What are you recommending besides the Sinking City and the Winter King? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, what is going on in the Cohen home? What are your kids enjoying? Yes. Well, I am actually reading the Winter King to them right now. How's that going? Fine. I I'm not loving reading my own work to my kids, partially because. At this point, you know, it's one thing to read it to them before it's in print, because it's like if I can tell that they're wandering a bit, you know, I might make a note and be like, OK, so kids lose interest here. This is already in, in print. So like if someone Oof. wanders off or is like starts to yawn, you know, I have to work hard not to take offense. <laughs> because it's done. It's done. Yeah. yeah. No, but we yeah, we've gone through uh, different phases of reading. We just read Holes Out Loud, which okay. is so good. Uh, we worked our way through some E. Nesbitt. Edward Eager is always a big fan okay. at our house, uh, Half Magic. And um, yeah, and then I always put in plugs for Diana Wynne-Jones because so few people... Couldn't be a Christine podcast it couldn't. without So DWJ. few people have read Diana Wynne-Jones and Howl's Moving Castle is just, a, is just a fantastically fun novel. So um, I recommend that. Uh, for older kids, um, I'm just about to start my 11-year-old on Patricia C. Reed, Dealing with Dragons, that... Okay. that series so yeah nice but actually if you want i now have on my website which is just christinedcohen.com i have a whole page of book recommends so you can awesome. scroll through there and christinedcohen.com nice yeah it's all finished it's all well i'm adding to it you know as we go because i just as i think of books i try to try to stick them on there but i get enough people who are like hey my 10 year old's a big reader what do you suggest that i thought I can just put it all in one one place, one place and you send the link. Yeah. Also, one thing about you is, especially from our last time that we talked, mm -hmm. you were a student at New St. Andrews Master of Fine Arts. Yes. You were not, you were no longer a student. You've graduated. Out. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you graduated. There we go. Yes. I graduated. You have finished this degree. Yeah. How'd it go? It was great. Yeah. It was, um, it was a fantastic program. I wrote another novel for it. So that, that was the goal, you know, but. Uh, like a complete one. Like, yep, yeah, a complete middle grade. It's called The Second Greatest Thief in New York. And it's not published yet, but I've got it just sit, sitting there waiting to be shopped around. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a really worthwhile program for me for a couple of reasons. One, one was um, when I first started writing and probably the reason I had to throw so many books away is because I tended to write by ear, you know, just, just, um, does it sound good or not? You know, do I, do I think this is interesting in some sort of like nebulous way? An artiste way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, instead of being really intentional about like, does this follow three act structure? Does my character have an internal emotional arc that's actually satisfying to people? 
You know, I think I had this fear that that would make my story feel wooden if I was plugging it into any sort of a formula. Does this character choice check out with yeah. who she is or right? Who is he it is. is it internally consistent? Am I making choices for the world based off of just kind of the default in my mind as opposed to um, like what would be the more interesting or what would serve my character or bring out interesting sides of my character's personality or or whatever? So for me, the program, just having the professors there sort of really asking you those questions, like, why did you pick this? What Okay, what is going to happen next? Why do you think that's the best place for this character to go? Are there, is there a better option? You know, those, those types of questions. It was really, it, that was really helpful for me. And I think, that, I think that is something that helps save some grief in the revision process if you are actually um, being intentional from the get-go as opposed to just sort of feeling out like, well, I think my character should do this next because it, it feels right. It sounds right. good. So, Right. Yeah. Okay. So just a sort of m- maturing in mm-hmm. your craft. Yeah. And I think also recognizing that as an artist, you are able to enjoy a lot more books and movies for better reasons, I guess, than just, yep. well, I liked it or I didn't like it. Or, well, I'm not really into whatever. Westerns, um, you know, that that is, I think, a more simplistic way of looking at art. And uh, the MFA program was really helpful in terms of like reading books that I wouldn't normally pick up and being able to glean very specific things from them yep. that that are helpful to me. You know, I can be like, OK, I, I'm not normally. So it's something like The Lies of Locke Lamora. Maybe I would have stopped it before um, sooner and been like, well, you know, there's a lot of swearing or I don't like the world that much but I'm I'm in it for a very specific reason uh this author is skilled at heists and I want to write a heist and so I can I can um feel like I'm spending my time well and able to pick out different things and appreciate yep. different authors and their talents more yeah I feel like there's a um a sort of trope when people this happens all over the place. Like, I think it's a funny, like, youth group thing when, like, a certain set of kids would go on a mission trip mm-hmm. and then they'd come back and they're like, oh, no, my church is the worst place ever. We don't do stuff. Does that make sense? The uh, And the same thing happens, like, when you someone goes off to school and then they come back to that friend group mm-hmm. and that friend group's like, that guy, he doesn't like anything we like anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like all hoity-toity because he went and did this thing and he comes back. And so what you were saying about you were nervous that this was earlier, but you said I was nervous that like this intentionality would would make my stuff feel wooden. Right. But what you're saying is actually like that education gave you more to like about stuff. Yes. You have a broader palette. Exactly. And I think it does. And it helps you to be able to look at, OK, so why, you know, here's a book that Jake really likes. Why does he like it? Like, what is he getting out yeah. of that book? So, yeah, it does. It gives you a much broader appreciation for for things as a, yeah as opposed to just dismissing something because oh it's not my style or I would never write those are like the that. worst conversations to those have are. with people when they're just like oh I didn't really like it yeah you're like oh okay <laughs> nice <laughs> I know nice and actually this is something that I think being part of a book group also really helps with because well at least the way that I'm in a book group and the way it works is each month a different person picks the book so and actually we're reading English Creek for my book group and um. I, at first, when I started it, I I was thinking, okay, I, this is not going to be something I enjoy. 
But I know that my friend Katie, who picked it, loves Ivan Doig. And and so if she sees something in this, I can uh, surely I can have the graciousness to look for something in it as well and see what she has seen. And and then when you get together and discuss it and you see, OK, so, you know, these people got this out of it or they liked it because, um, you know, it reminded them of growing up in Montana or they they it gave them that sort of longing that Lewis talks about, you know, for the wide open plains or or whatever, you know, like it, it can really help you to North trademark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Northernness. To just be a more appreciative reader. Yeah. It's through this education you can enjoy things like Dune. You know, that you're like, this is <laughs> Oh, here we go again. This is yes. uh this there are things here that are really, really great. Dune is a fantastic <laughs> and you know, if you ever want to know more about Dune, Jake and I did three Facebook yeah. videos on those. We'll do one more after Start the movie. My I, author. I think. Oh yeah, we should. Or at least just do an audio. Mm-hmm. Get a little yeah. Just for your website. Yeah. We're on perfect. here. Mm-hmm. Movies out today. It is. Are you going to go to the theater? I am. I wanted to go see it in IMAX, but the closest IMAX is in Washington, an hour and a half away in Washington. So and I bet you'd I have to like wear a hazmat suit just to just, just get to in. get in. Proof yeah. of vax, yeah. Proof so. of vax. So I may not be doing that, but um, yes, I'm. I am going to see it. I'm a little worried just from the trailer. Yeah. Where multiple characters delivered lines that were. N- would never have been found in the book mm-hmm. that I think Herbert would have maybe rolled over in his grave when he heard that uh, the, <laughs> the lady Jessica saying certain things that I know is yeah. just not in her character at all. So I'm, um, I'm approaching it with a little bit of skepticism, but yeah. I'm sure the special Timidity, effects will be yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I did see the worm again the other day. Yeah, it's a good worm. Yeah, actually, because I've been watching... The NLCS mm-hmm. baseball. Yep. The Braves are one game away from the World Series. Way to work this in. But every time I sit down to watch with your husband, they lose. <laughs> so I won't yep. be watching Saturday with him. With Joel. No matter what. I hope you have a full day for him. Yeah. I will not let him anywhere near a TV set of any kind. Because each time they get destroyed. <laughs> um, but the commercial just keeps coming up and there's a yep. giant worm and... I wouldn't have known otherwise had you not made me read Dune. Right. So. Yeah, you wouldn't have known what that was or why they were wearing those crazy still suits or what. So. Or that they are they don't show it in the thing, but they you can ride them. Yeah. So It's a little spoilery, but yes. Yes. Okay, Sinking City is out now. Pre-order it today at canonpress.com. Yeah, it should be shipping before Christmas, so you can, yeah. you know, who doesn't want a book for Christmas? That's, everyone wants a book for everyone Christmas. Everyone wants it. Get Kids your shopping it. done early. Yep. And Pre-order. you can get the Winter King. Yeah. Winter King comes with it. They'll let me keep writing books if you pre-order, so. It's true. Not that she's not, I mean, shopping around was the verb I heard. So it's like, (laughs) you know, just there there she goes. You know, our young Christine is off to the big world. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I love publishing with Canon. You guys are great. Thank you. That was, we'll, we'll clip that and. uh, Put that right at the beginning. Yeah. Just, I love, I love publishing with Canon. Thanks, Christine. Yep.